0: From the website, girlfriendit.com and the movement girlfriendit, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on Toginet.com.
1: Oh well, hello, hello. You are listening to Girlfriend it Radio with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. Lisa will not be with us today. She's actually on her way to Israel and she is doing all things about peace with Palestine and just amazing things that are happening in this world as I am having to sit here and and hold the fort. But we love to rally you to do the remarkable through resources and relationships. And today, the resources and relationships that we have for you, um, we have some amazing authors that we have an opportunity to talk to. And our first guest is Dr. Sandra Glan and she is a professor in media arts and worship at Dallas Theological Seminary, where she teaches courses on the arts, gender and human sexuality. She holds a Master's of Theology degree from DTS and a Ph.D. in the Humanities. And Dr. Guan is author slash co-author of more than 20 books, including 10 Bible studies in the Coffee Cup Bible Study series, and both fiction and nonfiction relating to bioethics and sexuality. Her most recent publication, which I absolutely love saying this because it's really fun to say, is Vindicating the Vixens. Revisiting sexualized, vilified, and marginalized women of the Bible. So, welcome, Dr. Golan. How are
2: you today? Thank you. I'm great. I can't wait to talk about this. One of my favorite subjects. <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> I have to tell you, I, I know what goes into actually um, coming up with the title of a book, <laughs> and uh, what a great title. I don't. I don't know how many into that one but oh it is, it, it's the cover of your book and the title I just it just draws you in so amazing thank good, good choice there thank you, there. <laughs> <laughs> thank you.
2: So, so, uh, it's been something that's been 10 years in the making in terms of the this, this seed so I had a lot of time to think about a title <laughs> I didn't have to depend on that you know 20 minute brainstorming session at the last minute uh, so thank you appreciate those kind words
1: well, this is an interesting uh, season for this book to come out. Yes. Um, oh, my goodness. And you're seeing 10 years ago when God right. obviously you know, formed right. this idea in your exactly. brain and in your heart. And then now with everything, you know, the the whole um, Me Too, I, I find it interesting yeah. because, uh, you know, one of the, the questions that comes around in your book is, did Bathsheba have a Me Too story? Right. And you know, for that to just blend in right now in, in for such a time as this, t- tell us your story and how we find <laughs> it to this point.
2: Yeah, My writing students say, Dr. Golan, you know, what's the secret? The publicity is going real well. I'm like, uh, the sovereignty of God. <laughs> wow, <laughs> because, yeah, you cannot plan something like that 10 years ahead of time. No. But I used to be the uh, magazine editor for Dallas. Editor for Dallas Seminary and uh, for about, almost twenty years and during that time, I could create a list of really good authors, people who just had a real gift for communicating the truth in a winsome way and I noticed um, through the years different authors who were relooking at individual women who didn't they didn't know about the others. so for example, an Arab scholar was relooking at how the typical Western middle class white Christian looks at Hagar. And so I knew he was doing that good work and I knew Lynn Kohick at Wheaton was doing good work in the about the woman at the well, in John Four. But they didn't all these people didn't know about each other. And I was in the happy position of of seeing good writers who were men and women from various traditions, not all of them from DTS. One in Australia, one you know at uh, in Edinburgh, one of them uh, just all over the world, and black and white, and last names like Zasueta So they were bringing things to the text that uh, was helping us see less of a gap between our culture and the year, you know, 2,000 years ago in the case of the New Testament and much longer ago than that in the Old Testament. And so I brought this group together of 14 scholars looking at 16 women. And the goal was not to have a book just for women. It was just for men and women to relook at not only how we've wrongly vilified these people, or, or in the case of the Virgin Mary, we've marginalized her in Protestant tradition. Um, not only that, but what have we then missed in the bigger story that the authors were trying to communicate? Mm. And that that is a whole other, you know, podcast we could talk about.
1: Well, you know, just, just because that was a, what you just threw out was how we marginalized Mary, go go through that unpack that a little bit how have we done that in our little protestant world
2: well, if we uh, look at, it starts usually with medieval art, and we see these pictures of the Madonna and child. And because we're not trained to read art like a preliterate person would be, we don't even notice that Mary is sort of gently gesturing with her hand toward her son. We don't notice that her head is bowed in his direction. We just see Mary's big, Jesus is little, therefore people must be exalting Mary over Jesus. Right? And then those of us who are not really super... Um, connected with the Roman catholic church or the orthodox church around the world we have this sort of knee-jerk reaction against what we think is mariolatry that we think they worship mary and so protestants have tended to go the other extreme well if they if we think they're going to overdo it on mary we're just gonna ignore her uh, and and in doing so we take the fourth most mentioned woman in the bible in the new testament i mean and we just ignore her and in the process, we miss out on a very important role model. And and sometimes the, the opposite happens. We make Mary so beyond that, that you know, that eliminates her too. <laughs> I can never be like her, therefore, you know, we're just going to move on. Um, and, and we need to, to swing that pendulum in a couple different directions, depending on where we've aired, so that we can recapture the faith of a teen who's there is no precedent for a virgin birth. There is precedent for old people getting pregnant. Um, but Zechariah doesn't believe. And here there's no precedent for a virgin birth and Mary does believe. And I think that the text is setting that up on purpose. You have a a young powerless woman and an older, uh, powerful priest, and the priest isn't getting it, and the young woman is getting it. But then you have the story following that of Anna um, and Simeon, so it's, it's not that the New Testament writers are dissing men. They're just constantly showing us the people who should have been getting this weren't getting it, and the people least likely are getting it. And you see that in Bathsheba, you see that in Hagar, you see that in Tamar, you see that in uh, Rahab, all the way through the, the Bible.
1: Okay, uh, unpack that when you're saying <laughs> the people that are constantly getting it and then the rest of us aren't. Like, what do you think... Cause, it, Cause this this is a pet peeve of mine. I I always and I don't get it half of the time. So that's but but I'm easy to point it out when other people don't get it. You know, it's, right, it, what right. are we missing? What are we supposed to be getting here? Like you said, yeah. it's not like we're slamming
2: men, right? But, oh yeah, yeah. We're just it, slamming people with social power, like David, um, who who deserve to be slammed in a certain context. So here's David. He was a little shepherd on the back side of the wilderness the least likely which is part of why god chose him and he loves god and he sings to god and things are great until he gets power which god says really really israel don't do that king thing all right if you insist here goes But don't multiply wives and horses, and of course, they multiply wives and horses. And so David has all this power, and when he should be out in the spring, when normally kings are out with their warriors, David is hanging out of the palace. And we have wrongly said that Bathsheba, Bathsheba seduced him. The palace is always higher than everything else in town, and pretty much everywhere. It's on a hill. The fortresses are on a hill. In, in Bathsheba's day, they didn't have bathtubs. The text says that she's washing, and that word for wash could just be washing her hands. It doesn't mean that she was unclothed. David saw her. He wanted her. He asked, Who is she? And they, they came back to him and said, Ah, uh, like the wife of one of your mighty men of valor and the daughter of one of your advisors, kind of like, don't like think about this. But he sends for her, and he sends men, plural, for her. And brings her to the palace, and again, we people have said she came to the palace and seduced him there's no reason in her mind to not go. This is her husband's boss. her husband is off at war, maybe he's died, maybe there's word. so she goes and and David abuses his power and now we know a lot more about power differentials which is why a doctor with a patient or a pastor with a parishioner like a a teacher with a student like we just know that there's an extra responsibility that comes with power in those relationships and david abuses his power and when nathan uh, uh, basically confronts them he doesn't say you all he doesn't say adultery (laughs) it's like you're the man you're that guy it's you And Bathsheba never says a word in the whole text. So I think that when we look at the genealogies of the women in in Jesus' line, it's unusual for women to appear in any genealogy in the ancient Near East. And you have these five women that appear, and we have tended to say they are there because they're all immoral in some way, Mm. which again is, first of all, slanderous and not true of any of them. But second of all, is missing the point. They're there because they're Gentiles. And they're Gentiles who have shown incredible faith, and God has weaved them in. So in the pedigree of Jesus Christ, you have Jew and Gentile, which fulfilled what he promised Abraham, which is, through you all the families of the earth will be best, blessed. He's King of kings. He's Lord of lords. Not just of the Jewish world, but of the whole world. That's a big thing to miss mm. as we sexualize these women. Mm. Uh
1: it it's it's interesting because, you know, once again, it's it's just are we missing the point? And I I would love to sit down with Bathsheba and I think for, yeah. for women we get so caught up in shame and to find yeah. out, uh, if you know, through all this, like you said, it's it David abused his power and it's pretty obvious here. You wonder right. even through all of that. Uh, what kind of shame she dealt with. It it is always amazing when I, uh, you know, when you read through, you go, yeah, here David was the shepherd. He got to really appreciate who God is when he, you know. Takes down Goliath, and the okay. next thing you know, he he's in the you know in the palace, going, "Hey, I want Bathsheba. Oh, and by the way, now we need to murder her husband." Right. Um, and, right. and then a few chapters later, he's playing the harp again. You know, could <laughs> oh, and I, I just realized we're getting our countdown. We have to go into a commercial break, and we will be right back talking about.
0: Go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
4: It's a fact that eating breakfast is extremely important. Many Americans start their day by eating a bagel with cream cheese. They find it satisfying and feel that it's a healthy choice for breakfast. But is that true? Eat This, Not That states that a bagel is shaped like a zero for a reason. It has almost 500 calories with 8 grams of fat and 634 milligrams of sodium. The majority of the 500 calories come from refined carbohydrates with little redeeming nutrition to justify the price tag. A much better choice would be a low-calorie, multi-grain English muffin with two tablespoons of peanut butter for 300 calories. This is satisfying and nutritionally charged. Choose a breakfast that works for you and not against your healthy, light lifestyle.
1: Well, welcome back. We have been talking with Dr. Sandra Glom. She is a professor in Media Arts and Worship of Dallas Theological Seminary, where she teaches courses on the arts, gender, and human sexuality. And her most recent publication that we have been talking about is Vindicating the Vixens, Revisiting Sexualized, Vilified, and Marginalized Women of the Bible. And we left into a commercial break talking about Are We Missing It?, and one thing I, I, I don't want to, to miss uh, is to talk about the, the woman at the well. Let's kind of share what, what you guys and through your research, what we have discovered there.
2: So if we think about what many people say on Easter, which is true, it's that a woman's testimony at the time of Jesus in the court of law means nothing, which is why it's unusual that God would choose women as the primary witnesses. And yet we come over to the story, or we rewind back to the story of Jesus. He's thirsty. He comes to a well in Samaria, and there's a woman there, and we forget And we assume that this woman, whom Jesus says, go call your husband, and she said, I've had, uh, you know, I don't have a husband. He said, You had five, and the one you have now isn't your own. We assume that that means she has divorced or dumped five husbands, and now she's living with some guy. But if we think about cultural backgrounds a little bit, and, and, Assume that a woman who's been married five times is not 18, 22 years old. Um, yeah. Maybe she's in her 40s uh, in, and weather-worn. But we also know that the primary cause of death for men at this time is war. primary cause of death for women is childbirth. And the average woman at this time has to have five children in order to keep zero population growth. So the emperors really want incentives for women to have children because they have to have an army. So you you factor that in and you assume that this woman has probably been widowed multiple times and maybe somebody's dumped her. And the, the little phrase, the one you have now isn't your own, doesn't mean she's shacking up with somebody. It probably means she either uh, is in a concubine situation so that she can eat, um, mm-hmm. so she has to share him, <laughs> Um, or maybe um, there's a family involved that won't let the father formalize the marriage because there's an inher- inheritance that's complicated. You know, For whatever reason, if we relook at that story in light of what we actually know about first century backgrounds, um, then what that changes is we've been taught, a lot of us, that this woman, Jesus confronts her about her sin, and then she tries to sa- change the subject by talking about, the Messiah coming. But if, in fact, he is bringing up her greatest point of heartache, you've had five husbands, and, you know, now the one you have isn't even yours. And she I perceive you're a prophet. And, and she goes on to say when Messiah comes, he'll show us all things and up to this point every time we see jesus and in another context too are you it are you the messiah he's like who do you say that i am and what do the scriptures say like he, he turns it back around as a question he doesn't just come right out with it but with this woman he comes right out and says i am Hmm. which is the Old Testament name for God, I Am. <laughs> like, And he never does get a drink. Like, he's come to her because he's thirsty, but she pretty much drops her bucket or whatever and, and heads off to tell her whole village the good news. And... If, if that is, in fact, what's happening with this woman, and the fact that Jesus doesn't say to her, go and sin no more, like he does say to the woman caught in adultery, then that has an impact on how we think about sharing the good news with people. Because many of us were taught, you start with their sin, you go after their sin, you constantly bring up their sin so that they'll see their need, but maybe, maybe we, it's important for people to understand their need and their sin, but maybe a better starting point is their pain. And the fact that Christ is the healer of that pain, and the one who has compassion for that pain—that um, that really is a very different story from what most of us have been taught about this woman that we've sexualized, even to the point where some people are like, you know, she's flirting with Jesus. Like it's really kind of creepy, mm-hmm. and we missed it.
1: Uh, okay, I I'm. Uh... I'm typing away. <laughs> I don't want. I don't want to miss it. But uh, hearing you uh, share this part of the woman at the well, where how do we then connect with others if we want to use Jesus yeah. as a model? It's just this amazing um, leader, yet alone I am and and our Messiah. Nice. Then I, I love that what you said. You know, so many times we especially as Christians, we start out with the judgment, maybe not necessarily meaning to start out with the judgment, rather than starting out at a connection point that we all have, which our common denominator can be our pain. And right. what if we, if our, and, and it's interesting, because we started today's show with the Me Too, and uh, Lisa and I, used to always say that me too was when you're talking to someone and it could be something exciting. You know, they just went to Disneyland yeah. and you're like, me too, yeah. you know, yeah. that's the connection, that's that common denominator. And what would it look like if we did start with that when we're building these relationships rather
2: than yeah, right. that Great question. I mean, we, we, talk, we look at humans and we try to discern where has the, the unideal hit you hard? Like everything, we, we tend to say the gospel is bad news, good news. The bad news is we're all sinners. The good news is Christ died for us. But it's really good news, bad news, good news. The good, mm-hmm. You know, we need to go back to God made a gorgeous, beautiful world, and he intended it to be filled with worshipers. Humans messed it up. That's the bad news, and the good news is not only is Jesus in the process of restoring it, but a day is coming when it will be better than the original. But in the meantime, you're living in this brokenness in the in the not yet, and Jesus is with you. Jesus is here. So what does that look like for you to know that you are not alone? Even if even if the husband's still left, even if the children are still sick, you know, even if name your thing that breaks your heart, but you're not alone. Um, that's a that's a very different message from you've messed up and yeah. you know God is angry with you even though he is angry about sin but he's not just angry about sin because we are sinning he's angry because sin destroys us sin is it hurts us it's like a parent being mad at a kid who runs out in traffic yeah. right yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's bad for my kid mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay
1: uh, so we, as you're doing all this research and you, you know here we are talking about the parts that we missed. Where where were you surprised? Like where did you just go? Wow! Yeah. I you know I, I've been missing this, and this is pretty yeah. crazy. This is um, amazing. What what you're able to to learn here? So where was your aha moments?
2: My big surprise was with Rahab because the first thing we think of with Rahab is that she was a prostitute. And that was her that was her like description of her before the spies arrive in the story. It's not not at all the part of her story. It's 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 more that, you know, she is mentioned two times elsewhere, like in the New Testament, she's in the hall of faith, Hebrews eleven, and she's just she's known for her faith. She had very little light to go on. She's in this Canaanite territory. She's in the first city to be destroyed of bad people in Jericho. And she says to these Hebrew spies, I've heard about your God. Or he, she even uses God's name, Yahweh, Elohim, Adonai, all three of them. Like, she, who, how does she know this? Like, she is a powerless woman with a you know ill repute, and yet she is ready to follow him. She's like, we're we are terrified because your God is real. What do I need to do? Um, and so she protects them because they are gods. But the biggest surprise to me was when... It comes time to take that city. Joshua asks the angel of the Lord, "Whose side are you on?" The angel shows up with a sword, and you're expecting him to say, "Why yours? <laughs> like, because we made promises about this." But he doesn't. He's like, "God is on God's side. Like, mm-hmm. God is not the God of only the Hebrews. <laughs> he saves Rahab to show that He is the God of the Gentiles too. And she'd heard about the Dead Sea parting. Twenty, and that happened 40 years earlier." She she'd been paying attention to what was happening, um, and and that that was what struck me was time and time again, in the mouth of a gentile, God was praised, and and that statement from the angel of the Lord that God is for God. Mm. That oh. insider outsider mentality is just wrong. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, and.
1: I want to know your take on Eve. I mean, Eve, obviously, you give her a bad rap. Yeah,
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. so so Eve definitely sinned, but the idea that all women are therefore out to seduce and are simultaneously more susceptible to seduction, which Mm -hmm. is a logical fallacy, right? You can't be good at seduction if you yourself are duped all the time. Right? You, well, you we can't, do bring that can't down be true We definitely bring oh, them. Yeah. For sure, when women sin. Like, we're not, we're not here to say women don't sin. But all women don't sin the same way. All women don't choose to sin by seducing. And it's not helpful to women to assume. Uh, I think that's part of what happened with me, too, is the wrong assumption. She wanted it. Yeah. And yeah. even though she said, stop, here's my boundary, yeah, but we know. You're you're seductress, so you you're just pretending, which is not true at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, Can we extrapolate. Have, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Oh no,
1: I just we have about a minute and a half um, before we go back into commercial break. And I, and once again, I just have to tell you, thank you so much. This has just flown by, and I feel like we barely we just we barely, barely did the apple. I mean, we're just sucking the juice out, and we didn't get the rest of it. But yeah.
2: you ask I, great questions.
1: <laughs> I do want to say uh, your your proceeds uh, from the sale of this book go to the International Justice Mission, which. What a great organization. And and just so tell us more about that work in, in about less than a minute and yeah. where we can find you.
2: Everybody who contributed – is a scholar and we're not on the front lines of working with the sexualized, vilified, marginalized people, but IJM is international justice mission is. So all the authors agreed that the profits from this book would not benefit any of us. They would all go to the work of international justice mission. If readers want to find their or listeners want to find me, they can, uh, go to my website and blog, which is aspire Two the number com. They can find me at that same name, uh, aspire Two I'm sorry, aspire Two on Facebook. Uh, Sandra Golan, G-L-A-H-N on Twitter. And the book is wherever books are sold typically and easily ordered from Amazon.
1: Awesome. And I just have to say, you you are this amazing, you're a regular blogger at engagebible.org. And you're also um there for women in Christian leadership and uh, just doing amazing things. So we just have we appreciate that you're saying yes to God.
2: Thank you.
0: This is Girlfriend It on Toginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on GirlfriendIt.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended radio right after these.
4: We were thriving in a youth ministry when God clearly called us out of our Bible Belt comfort zone to plant a church in California.
0: It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
4: It can be difficult to find good fresh fruit in the fall and winter months. Are there other alternatives? Frozen fruit is a great choice. ABC News reported that frozen fruit can actually be healthier than fresh fruit. Some of the healthiest foods in the grocery store are in the freezer section. They state that fruit loses important nutrients the minute it's picked, and how long after harvesting you eat it impacts its nutritional value. Most fruits are allowed to fully ripen before they are harvested and frozen, so they are at their peak of nutritional value. But many times, fresh produce is harvested before it's fully ripened, so it is artificially ripened when it's transported to the supermarket and doesn't provide the key nutrients. So don't let fall and winter months tempt you into foregoing fruit in your daily diet. Consume frozen fruit and enjoy all the nutritional advantages.
1: Well, welcome back. We have been talking about being sexualized, vilified, and marginalized, and now we're going to talk about being brave. And we have author Kelly Johnson, and she has come up with this new book, A 40-Day Journey to the Life God Dreams for You. Kelly is a counselor, coach, writer, speaker, retreat leader, and human rights advocate, She has her master's degree in social work and worked for years as a counselor in the mental health and addictions field. She's passionate about social justice issues and believes Jesus calls us to take care of the vulnerable and fight for the oppressed.
3: So, Kelly, welcome to our show today. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I, I love your passion, what you're passionate
1: for. And, uh, you know, it, it's interesting uh, that I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up where, you know, siblings are all doing ministry. And uh, it always goes back to, oh, <laughs> as you look, you go, oh, yeah, God called us to um, help those in prison and the poor. He, you know, the social justice issues is what we're supposed to be here um, for and fighting for and those that are vulnerable. So I love your heart. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saying yes to God and moving forward. And and obviously you said yes to God and created this being brave book. Tell us mm-hmm.
3: where this all started. Well, it started with my daughter, who is now 21, and she was, at the time, probably eight or nine years old, and she was having a rough day, and she was always an out loud processor, but she, this particular day, (laughs) was really following me around the house, saying, you know, just worried, and fearful, and anxious, and bored, and all those things, and I was digging around in my mama bag of tricks, trying to find the answer for her, and distract her, and problem-solve and be creative, and finally I just had 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 it, and I kind of threw up my hands and said, Brooke, I don't know what to do for you. I don't know how to help you. And she looked at me, and she said, Mommy, I just need you to tell me that I'm a brave soldier." And that began our journey around this word brave and what it meant and how it felt and how it impacted us to have somebody call us brave. And as we know in scripture, over and over and over again, God says, do not fear or stand firm or uh, be strong and courageous or different versions of this call to bravery. And so he knew we would need to hear those words. And so that turned into conversations with friends, and then that turned into retreats, and then eventually this devotional to dig into what God's Word says about being courageous and brave. Mm. So as you're digging into God's Word, what was
1: one thing, which I, I know this is a hard question, what was one thing where you just went, Oh wow. Like I had no idea that you know I would have missed it if I if I hadn't been writing this book.
3: Mm. You know, I think that one of the the Look is structured in and we look at a brave acronym, bold, resilient, authentic, vulnerable, engaged, and empowered. and when I was looking at that word vulnerable, I always think about you know the the willing the willingness to ask for help and to let people know that you you um, you need someone to come alongside you and as I was digging around in scripture, looking for a good story about a biblical character, the one I came across who gave us the most perfect example of being vulnerable was Jesus. And it's in that story where he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he's pouring out his heart to God, which is what we would expect, certainly that he would, he would go to the father, but he also asked his friends to be there with him and asked his three closest friends to come a little further with him and to stand watch with him. And he shared with them you know, I'm I'm really really troubled. I'm really distressed. And we have a couple different versions of that in in scripture, but I thought isn't that something that the that our, our savior who is both fully human and fully God, even he needed to have his buddies by his side in that really hard time. And um, I just think that that is the one thing that jumps out at me that I wouldn't I would have thought it would have been someone else that would have been that example for us.
1: Mhm. Uh, well, yeah, I love the the name of your book, "Being Brave." This is uh, has been. Have you noticed that in the last few years? It's kind of been a new new
3: trend. Of being- it has, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And it's and I I've kind of wondered if it was just because, you know, I, I was noticing it now. But I do think that it really is a trend that we really all of us are are feeling called upon to kind of dig deeper and and find that that aspect of ourselves. mm Hmm and and where how might
1: being brave look different for different people
3: you know i think i think the, something that might be really hard for you might be something that comes more naturally or more easily for me, and something that would require every bit of courage I had, maybe something that you do without thinking about it, you know that I think we're all wired very differently and and I talk a lot about in the retreats particularly and some in the book about this stepping out of our comfort zone and and for for different people that that is anything that would be something that doesn't come naturally and and, as I think about friends of mine who particularly have gone through great, great tragedy in their life, you know sometimes being brave for them is is on that particular day getting out of bed and getting dressed and putting your shoes on, you know. And we we all have those kind of days. I think where just showing up is is brave. And then on other days, it's it might be something really big, taking uh, taking a risk to have a difficult conversation or calling up uh, someone and volunteering for something that we've always said we were going to do someday. Or maybe it's you know creating that painting that we we thought we would do and we never did. So it's it's, it's a variety of different things, and it's no, never the same for any any two people.
1: it's It's funny that you you say that. I remember i I'm a consultant and and coach, and I remember at one point I was in a support group and I was watching another coach. And as they were going around the circle, one of the gals was talking about you know what they had done that week and just the results that that they had accomplished and uh, the coach, you know, praised him and said, that's amazing. And God's just doing great things in your life and how exciting for you. Then she went on to the next person and asked her, you know, what, where do you feel, you know, how express your emotions. And she basically said, I took a shower this morning and the coach raved about that, that she got up and took a shower. (laughs) And I remember I was was thinking, right. Hey, this, this
3: doesn't make sense. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But if you think about it, you know, when when those hardest, hardest days that sometimes just putting one foot in front of the other requires that digging deep and saying, you know what, I have this within me because that's who God made me to be. And um, yeah, it's a different journey for all of us.
1: Well, and I think it's interesting when you said, you know, we getting out of our comfort zone and I just have learned recently that happier people get out of their comfort zones and which mm. is, is interesting that they would show research on that. The more you step out of your, your comfort zone, um, the happier you become because of the, you know, it gets into the dopamine drip and the serotonin, etc uh, right. because you get excited and that chemical is being released because you, you worked for something and
3: like,
1: there are times when I'm being stretched, and I go, enough already. And then I kind <laughs> of blame God, where I'm like, why did you get me in this mess? <laughs> like right, this, I right. am not happy, and I'm not having fun. And right, right. I go, oh, yeah, okay, I did learn from that. But you never, you're never, you never appreciative. Well, I shouldn't say you, you're never. But many times, often, we are not appreciative when we're in the moment um, of those times that we're being stretched.
3: So, Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes we're, we are invited out of our comfort zone and sometimes we're pushed out of our comfort zone. And and so I think that sometimes comes into play too, is, is this something of our own choosing or is this something where all of a sudden, you know, life has changed drastically for us and we've got to, we've got to find a new way.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I want to dig into, uh, When you're having a heated discussion, you talk about this in your book, uh, when is it time to be brave? And and the reason I think this is so significant, because I've noticed with social media, we think we're being bold and brave as Christians, and I'm going to take a stance And yet we jump in and we might use scripture out of context or scripture to someone who's not ready for those verses, for you to be bold and brave and just kind of like in your face. (laughs) I I, I almost feel like we need to go to classes on this, on when do you be brave and when is that just you need to remain silent.
3: Right. And I think sometimes... The, the brave thing to do is remaining silent is to turn mm-hmm. and walk away and And for me, I know I found that when i'm speak when I'm endeavoring to speak truth in love that um, you know if I'm really really angry, then I'm all about speaking truth, but I may forget the love part and so I know for me the only way that I can be really really tuned in to what is brave in that moment is to be tuned into the Holy Spirit. That I know when I'm I'm trying to really talk to God on a regular basis, check in with him first thing in the morning throughout the day, and, and when I'm faced with those moments, whether it be online or whether it be face-to-face, that I can... Take a deep breath and say, okay, God, what do you have for me here? Is this the time when I need to, to take a stand, when I need to speak up, when I need to say, here's what is, is true and here's what's going on for me and here's how I see it? Or when are the times when I need to choose perhaps kindness over being right? and um and i think it's really on a case by case basis and for me the only way i can do that is really checking in on a regular basis with the holy spirit
4: mm-hmm.
1: yeah we get caught up in the the knowledge Sometimes we have this high IQ maybe if, if you feel like, oh, I know scripture and I, I will show you versus the, the EQ or, you know, the emotional intelligence to be tuned into the Holy Spirit. And I, I think that's so significant to, to realize that. And I, I love how you say sometimes just remaining silent is being brave. Mm-hmm. and waiting for that moment or maybe that moment isn't it, maybe it's for somebody else to come along you were just there to to maybe you know plant a seed you don't have to see it all the way through well we're getting ready to take a, a commercial break, break and so when we come back we're going to talk about how is being authentic and vulnerable a part of being brave and we'll be right back after this message That's when we got connected with Stadia. They have incredible systems in place to support our family, including a network designed specifically for me, the spouse of a church planner. We could have never done it without Stadia.
0: Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
4: Have you ever considered dancing your way to fitness? It may be time for you to find innovative things to add to your fitness program. Variety is always good, not only for your body, but also for your mind. I want to encourage you to add aerobic dance to your exercise routine. Dancing has become so popular because of television shows like Dancing with the Stars. Aerobic dance classes get your heart rate up and sustains it while you work almost every muscle in your body. It allows you to let go and to release any stress that you're carrying while you get a fun and energetic workout. You don't need to be coordinated or a great dancer. Just step into a class or rent a DVD and let loose. Aerobic dance is a wonderful form of cardio exercise and a fun way to get in shape. I'm Annette Hammond. If you're a fan of Fitness Minute, like us on Facebook.
1: author Kelly Johnson and her newest book, Being Brave, A 40 Day Journey to the Life God Dreams for You. And Kelly, you've been a blogger since 2005 and you have a following of readers on your monthly contributions to The Glorious Table as well as your church blog, Today I Saw God. And you're a regular contributor to the Hunting or the Huffington Post uh, The Mighty and Today Parenting. And we're so excited to have you on today we were just talking about how is being authentic and vulnerable a part of being brave and you kind of shared that that the model that you got this from is the model that Jesus brings to us in scripture so
3: let's talk a little bit more about that mm-hmm. yeah authentic, authenticity and vulnerability build connection. And so much of our culture right now is about comparison and competition and perfectionism, all of which make us feel more distant and separate from each other. And I think that, you know, Jesus reminds us that the most important commandment is love god with all your heart and to love one another as we love ourselves and part of that i think is that journey of authenticity and vulnerability that the way we connect with each other the way we love each other is by by showing up authentically and being willing to to share ourselves vulnerably with other people. And part of my experience in the retreats that I do is that so many women in particular believe that this voice of the inner critic in their head, that they're the only ones who hear those 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 kinds of lies about who we are and, and our worth. And when we start sharing with one another, uh, we find out that we're not alone. And that helps us to hear God's voice more clearly.
1: Uh, you know, so significant in um, be, the part about being perfect that I think, especially as Christians in the body of Christ, where we we don't want and, you know, we have all this chatter going on in our head but we're going to put it out there on social media and everywhere else of, you know, how perfect our, our lives are. Rather than, than being transparent, I just read recently there's a place uh, in North Korea, you know, right where uh, where South Korea and North Korea, you know, the guards. Have you ever seen that, where they're just standing there facing each other 24 yeah, hours a day? Yeah, can you imagine? It's great. Yeah. And, and right beyond that, in North Korea, there's this whole village I want to say Xiong Dong or something. It's, it's, it's a fun name to say. But uh, right there, there's this whole village with these, you know, blue walls and beautiful roofs. And if you look closer, though, there's no windows and they have an automatic timer that's putting the lights on and off. They want to create this, this beautiful perfection, this, you know, village that's non-existent because... That way South Korea will look into North Korea and go, oh, I, I want what they're having. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. okay, now we've gone extreme here. But that is what we That's do right. so many times. You know, it's like yeah. this is my happy vacation, you know, right. at Disneyland and inside you just got done screaming at your kids and taking a right. picture. They don't
3: want to take a picture and <laughs> right you now. Right. No, and we compare we compare our insides to other people's highlight reel you know when when and and you know obviously sharing at a certain level is appropriate on social media and that we're, we're not going to air all our dirty laundry and tell all our secrets on social media, yet that we tend to compare ourselves and the things that we're struggling with and the ways that we're having a hard time figuring out our way. And we we look at every, how everybody's living online and we think, well, we're the only ones. We're the only ones that are messing up. We're the only ones that are have doubts or questions or, or worries. And so until we can really start to find those spaces, where we can connect with one another and say, you know, this is hard sometimes. Then we begin to build each other up and call each other brave and say, look, I know you can do it. I know you have within you that God made you brave and courageous, and I'm, I'm right here with you.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and to be able to really focus on those, those truths, like you said, the, the narrative we put in our, in our own brain um, versus the reality uh, we have to do something to, to scramble that and to move forward without always listening to uh, that that chatter. And isn't there like we listen to 60,000 thoughts a day and the percentage of them that are negative? Have you... Do you know the yeah, research? Not,
3: yeah, I, I have heard. I have heard that before. I don't know what the numbers are, but absolutely. And I, I know. I I certainly have experienced that to be true. You know that that um, if I'm not aware of it, if I'm not onto it, you know that, and, and I don't do those things which build up my ability to hear God's voice and to hear the voice of the people in my community who are calling out the best in me. Then it's very easy to to believe that that. That nonsense is is the truth. And
1: let's go, let's talk about that. Those that are calling out the best in you. Many times as Christians, we definitely, we want to get into God's word. If we're not in God's word, then yeah, we're not going to be able to to differentiate when someone's calling out, you know, are, are they the, the voice that we want to hear? Is it God's voice that we're listening to? But I do think that God gives us a brain to also put these other practices into place to be brave. Mm -hmm. And there are times that we go, oh, no, I'm not going to look outside of the Bible. And I do believe that science has come up with great skills and practices and did you find that when you were writing the book that there is some other things that to tap into without i think sometimes when we say that out loud as christians it's like oh no now you're going new age or now you're going into this, right. This
3: science right now i think that part of my background as a clinical social worker is in in the area of of, of looking at our thoughts looking at that cognitive how do we pay attention to how our thoughts impact our feelings and how our feelings impact our behavior and start paying attention to those practices that can help us to you know it says in scripture that that we have the mind of christ and yet we don't often pay attention we 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 react instead of respond, and and we lose our ability, when we don't slow it down, to um, to make choices based on on really paying attention to okay is this true or is that not true and you know that's a part of that you know of psychology and and uh, cognitive motive therapy and gratitude practices that are are talked about in a number of different traditions um, and 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 you know in in science uh, that that more and more and more research is done about how how appropriate it is to um, to, to have those gratitude practices that that um, I do talk about it at one point in the book a, the, a story with my daughter and how we we helped her to deal with some fears based on really making some intentions around being grateful.
1: Mm-hmm. And so what what were those intentions what and how did that help her?
3: what what was going on for her during that time as she was coming down like every night this was when she was like 10 or 11 years old and um as i said she's kind of a worrier and and um she, I can't go to sleep, can't go to sleep, can't go to sleep, and she would rehearse all these negative things that she was thinking about and worrying about, and we'd try to go through it first with her and, and, you know, refute all these different worries, and then we started thinking, you know, what God says in his word in Philippians 4, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and then the peace of God, and, you know, it goes on from there, and so we wrote down that verse in a couple of different... Translations, and every night before she went to bed, we would go through and she would tell us all the things that either myself or my husband you know what was she grateful for that day what had gone really well what was positive in her life what was what was she happy about and so we would rehearse those things instead and then she would read that scripture a couple of times and then we would pray together and and we would leave her leave her for the evening and that if she woke back up again and was having trouble she'd read those scriptures again and do some of those so that practice became a part of kind of her bedtime routine that eventually over a period of time Helped her to to refocus that the those thoughts and um, and and be feel like she had some um, ability to impact the way her brain was working, if you will.
4: hmm.
3: And and did do does she look
1: back on that and realize, okay, that that was significant? I I,
3: yeah. I can do that. That's she my wears thing. a ring. She wears a ring that says, um, "Do not be anxious." as a reminder of, the, of that um, of that scripture and of that practice. Um, and she has since been diagnosed when she was in high school. She was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder and, and has had more treatment and more counseling around those things and absolutely has fallen back and used those skills that, you know, we began as part of our journey as parents with her and trying to help her um, find her way through that. And absolutely. And, and, and I think even more than that, an understanding that it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to come up with strategies that, Mm -hmm. you know, strategies along with prayer are, are both, you know, that they're all parts of, of that, um, choosing to be your strongest, healthiest, um, the self that God made you to be.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: I love that
1: strategies along with prayer, choosing to be the healthiest. What did you say? The
3: healthiest, I don't know. Healthy, healthiest version of, of healthiest person and the person that God made you to be. Right. Cause I think God wants us to tap into that part of ourselves that is, um, you know we're more than conquerors right and mm-hmm. um and i think that whatever those resources are that can help us to um to connect with that is um is a win mhm
1: Love it. Well, we only have about a a minute before we are um, ending the show. And once again, it's been delightful having you on. uh, Yes, your book, Being Brave, a 40-day journey to the life God dreams for you. And Kelly, if you could give our listeners just one tip on being brave, what would it be?
3: God's already made you brave. All through Scripture, we know that being brave is our birthright as a child of God, and we already have everything we need to live a life of, of passion and sacrifice and meaning and purpose, but we just need to surround ourselves with those people that can help us remember and uh, because we're, we're, uh, courage is uh, contagious.
1: Courage is Contagious. And I, I that's a great tip, too, on who we're surrounding ourselves um, with. So go out there, choose to be brave, and God has already made you that way. So thank you so much, Kelly. And for everyone out there, go out there and have an awesome week. Thank you. Thank you.